You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, Bloomberg's Rosalind Matheson on the Hamas attack against Israel, the Israeli response, and concerns about possible escalating conflict in the Middle East and beyond. Hamas militants from the Gaza Strip began shooting thousands of rockets at Israel and also infiltrating with their militants across the fence. Israel and Hamas at war. The death toll tops 1,100 as fighting enters a third day. The U.S. says it's sending military support to Israel while Saudi Arabia calls for de-escalation. Raz, days after this attack, it's still hard to comprehend the scale of what is happening in Israel. Can you give us a picture of the latest on the ground there? Well, yes, days later, the fighting is still going on. I mean, Israel has unleashed severe retaliation against the Hamas forces who've made their incursion into Israel. They've been striking back heavily in the Gaza Strip, which is, of course, that small bit of land, Palestinian territory, very close to Israel. But we know that incursions are still going on. They're also coming from the north of Israel, from Lebanon, in small numbers, but certainly some fighting going on there. And as the Israeli government says itself and the defense officials, they don't yet have the situation under control. The idea that Hamas and its militants could make inroads so far into Israel in such broad measure without any advance warning from Israel this was going to happen remains really still the most shocking aspect of this to some extent of all. Can you tell us about the hostages who've been taken? Because that seems to be one of the most urgent questions is where they are and what will happen to them. Well, that's right. And there's quite a bit about that we simply don't know. Uh, We do know that some of them have been taken into the Gaza Strip by Hamas militants. The purpose of that is not exactly clear, but not that difficult to imagine, potentially with all the talk at some point about a full-scale ground invasion of Gaza and what those people might be used for in that event. We know they number at least in their hundred or hundreds, potentially, that they've been taken from various towns and villages in the south of Israel. Uh, Most of them seem to be now inside the Gaza Strip, uh, making it very difficult to get them back. And that's why we're seeing a lot of conversation already about negotiations for some kind of prisoner swap. We're seeing countries in the region seemingly offering their services to try and mediate because you can see these hostages becoming really the, the major flashpoint here and sort of forcing Israel's hands to take further action against Hamas inside the Gaza Strip. And the way Hamas did this, which was to come in and just kill 
civilians in their homes, around their homes, at this music festival, and take hostage those they didn't kill, has really galvanized Israel's population in a way the country has not been united in a long time. Well, certainly. I mean, Israel's been famous for its fractious politics for years now, uh, frequent elections, instable kind of governments, short-term coalitions. And of late, under the latest administration of Benjamin Netanyahu, of course, widespread protests against his efforts, which are seen to be to diminish the independence of the judiciary, uh, of the court system. And we've seen mass protests for months over that, including uh, army reservists saying that they're not going to sort of do their job as reservists as part of it. That's all washed away in an instant. All you can see is unity inside Israel. The business leaders who were sort of funding some of the protest movement against Benjamin Netanyahu are now financing some of the support for Israel's conflict here against Hamas. Our reservists are all uh, signed up and doing their job. They're mobilizing more of them. So all the air, for now at least, has, has come out of that protest movement. And unlike in previous conflicts, which we've seen many of over the years, Netanyahu came out and said Israel is at war. And that really does seem to be more than rhetoric. Israel is mounting a huge counteroffensive to quell this attack. What exactly are they doing? Well, certainly they're retaliating via air. So you're seeing airstrikes into the Gaza Strip. We're now seeing border skirmishes with Lebanon helicopter gunships engaging in some fighting there. That seems to be fairly small elements in the north, uh, but still there is fighting going on there. But certainly calling up those large number of reserves sends the signal, as you say, that they are serious about this. This is not one of those previous episodes where you saw a couple of days of, of violence between Israel and Hamas, and then things subsided again just the sheer number of casualties for Israel, the civilians, those scenes of, of militants going into people's houses, of killing innocent people, of taking others back into the Gaza Strip. That's going to force Netanyahu's hand. He can't just sit back in this moment. He does need to do something. And so when he talks about war, he really does seem to mean it. What we could be seeing there is really that full-throated ground war against the Gaza Strip and Hamas in particular in the Gaza Strip. And he's warning that'll be months. This is not something that's going to disappear again in a week or two and subside as it has previously. We are talking about weeks and months of conflict. And then, of course, the risk, of course, that that extends further into the region and draws in other countries as a result. And Raz, what is the situation like right now in Gaza? Well, certainly it's it's extremely difficult. I mean, it's a very small strip of land that's highly densely populated and has been for many years. These are people who moved into the Gaza Strip decades ago due to conflicts elsewhere in the region. And over the years, they've lived in quite difficult circumstances. As I said, high population density, not a lot of prospects for employment, difficult in terms of sometimes even accessing basic necessities and sort of reliant really on external financial aid to stay afloat. 
And so life has been very difficult there for many years. And with the sort of the frequent rocket attacks back and forth, obviously dangerous also. And so for the people in Gaza, this moment is particularly fraught. The Israeli administration say that they're going to ensure there's no water, there's no electricity. Uh, They're going to make life as difficult as they can for the people who are in Gaza in the hope that that sort of transcends into pressure on Hamas to give in. Essentially, they're hoping that that might mean that there's pressure from within the people living inside Gaza. I mean, obviously, there are militants operating in there, but there are also just ordinary people who've been trying to live their lives blocked from going into Israel to work and and, and to earn money. And so you can imagine that the situation uh, on the ground there is particularly difficult at the moment. Of course, in the longer term, there's this discussion for many years around Gaza and the role of Israel in essentially locking off Gaza from the rest of the world. Israel says that it needs to do so to protect its citizens from Hamas. It argues it's it's avoided exactly the situation that we're now seeing up until now, and it's had to do that out of necessity. There are other countries and and human rights organizations that have argued, in essence, that Israel has sort of suppressed the people who are residing in Gaza has worsened their quality of life, has given them very few options, again, in terms of the ability to earn money, freedom of movement, and so on. So these are very sort of fundamental, deep issues that have gone on for many years and you know, a level of resentment amongst those living in Gaza about their situation. Raz, one of the big questions is something you referred to earlier, which is how Israel could have been caught off guard by this. Israel's intelligence is known to be some of the finest in the world. How is it that Israel had no apparent advanced warning of this attack? Well, that is the big question, and there are no easy answers, and we may not have any for some time. The defense force in Israel says they are mounting inquiries about this, but they will go on for weeks and months. And meantime, they are in the middle of now fighting a conflict as well, which they're focusing on. But certainly, it is just startling that this could have happened in the early hours of Saturday morning with no warning. Again, a campaign that must have been in the planning for months And Israeli intelligence is very highly regarded uh, in general. They're certainly seen as sort of providing key intel to the US over the years. They're famous for it. And how on earth they had no idea this was coming is just startling, especially when uh, they've spent so much money on their military, on their defense, high levels of training, very high capacity air defense system. Raz, another concern that's come up is that this conflict could spread beyond Hamas and the Gaza Strip to Hezbollah fighters in Lebanon launching an attack at the same time. Do we know anything more about that? Well, certainly that is the the concern that's got to be quite real for the U.S. as a key ally of Israel and other nations in the region is that question of contagion and whether Israel feels obliged to, to mount some kind of wider reprisal, especially if they do trace any of this back to Iran as having supported Hamas, either in the planning or the execution, or even just knowing about it in advance of this attack. And so you've got these sort of Iranian-supported proxies in the region that have long been in tussles with Israel. 
You mentioned Hezbollah in that as well. And so you've got this sort of like complex soup of actors in the region with different kinds of alliances and sometimes acting on behalf of bigger countries, these smaller proxy outfits. And that's ripe for some kind of contagion, really. Uh, If Israel again feels that it wants to retaliate, does it push hard against Hezbollah? Does that bring in Lebanon? Does that bring in Iran through the back door, for example? What about some of the other big nations in the region who are obviously looking upon this with great concern? Because there's been this sort of climate, this this push to really normalise ties between Saudi Arabia and Israel and to really set that region on a longer term, more stable footing, uh, focused on sort of common goals, economic growth, trade and investment. That's all gone out the window. And so now, of course, the concern is that this this does spread to Iran. It draws in other countries militarily. It affects things like the supply of oil. And suddenly you've got a very, very widespread and deep conflict. After the break, Israel's allies respond to the attacks. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. Raz, in recent months, Israel and Saudi Arabia have been circling around each other about a possible thaw in their relationship. Does this attack have anything to do with possibly trying to stop that from happening? Well, certainly that's one aspect of it. You can imagine that whether that was the intent or not, it has to put that thaw off the table for now, if not indefinitely, because this is not an environment where Israel can now pursue a normalization with Saudi Arabia or Saudi Arabia in turn. Those conversations were exceptionally delicate from the outset. They progressed very carefully, very slowly. The US has had a hand in that also, of course, wanting to facilitate that kind of agreement and set up that greater stability in the Middle East for the longer term. So that's been a very careful and delicate process, and it's been completely thrown off kilter by this either way. So that is one of the things that people are talking about. Was it deliberate to basically torpedo that process once and for all? Is that a reason that Hamas did it because they knew this would be a knock-on effect? Or is it just an unintended but for them probably welcome side effect of it? Whatever was the intention, it's certainly going to be the result. Because with Israel embroiled in a conflict for months or even even longer, there's just no way that that country is going to be in a position to have those kinds of conversations. How has the U.S. responded along with its European allies? Well, certainly very strong statements of support for Israel. People of Israel are under attack, orchestrated by a terrorist organization, Hamas. In this moment of tragedy, I want to say to them and to the world and to terrorists everywhere that the United States stands with Israel. We will not ever fail to have their back. 
The US is a key ally of Israel, has for many, many years supported it militarily, had a role obviously in the development and even now the maintenance of the Iron Dome air defense shield over Israel. So very much strong statements of support. They're moving some of their military assets closer to the region, some of their warships and so on. And that's to send a very clear signal also. We're here, we're present, we're involved, we're watching. We don't want this to escalate, but we could act if needed. And you can imagine, you know, in the back channel sense, very much urging caution on the part of everybody here, not wanting it to extend to other countries. But also for the US, the difficult question of not wanting to get drawn in directly militarily if it can help it. We've seen very much in recent years a high allergy by the US to have its own military assets involved uh, around the world. We saw that with the invasion of Ukraine, where the US has strongly supported Ukraine, sent a lot of military kit, but not wanted its own boots on the ground. We've seen it in the chaotic withdrawal of US troops from Afghanistan. Also, in recent years, there's no appetite in the US politically to get involved militarily in another conflict around the world. So it's a very delicate dance for the US here. They need to show strong support for Israel. They need to potentially bulk up some of the military and financial aid that might be coming to Israel in this moment, but they probably don't want to be drawn in directly uh, in terms of their own military assets. When we come back, could the attacks ultimately cost Netanyahu his job? What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Raz, earlier you talked about how difficult life is in Gaza. Netanyahu has urged civilians to leave Gaza, but can they just leave? Is that even possible? It's extremely difficult. Movement in and out of Gaza has been restricted for years. There were times when people could go into Israel and back, for example, to work, but that's all being cut off. And so the ability to go anywhere from that tiny strip of land is very difficult. Do you attempt some kind of journey outward by sea? Where do you escape to, even if you could? And that's been one of the reasons that the quality of life there has deteriorated because it's just people packed in amongst each other in high-density housing with nowhere else to go. And so while he's urging people to leave, they frankly just don't have very many options. You said at the start of our conversation that Israelis were setting aside their differences and coming together to face this attack. But this also poses real danger for Netanyahu and his government in the future, doesn't it? 
Well, it does. As you say right now, it's a moment of high unity inside Israel. They're talking about even forming a unity government, which is something they've not managed to achieve through many, many uh, fraught elections. And the mood is just very much we're one in this. But of course, there are those big questions again around such a fundamental failure of defence, no advance warning, the high level of civilian casualties in this. And there are going to be a lot of questions asked about that as time goes on. And there were big divisions inside Israel, as we talked about before this moment, big protests against Netanyahu and some of the legal changes he was trying to make. So the question is, does this become his Golda Meir moment? In essence, of course, she was the the leader of Israel from 1969 to 1974, when, of course, you had another war, the Yom Kippur War in 1973, when Israel was also caught by surprise. In that case, it was Syria and Egypt. And there were a lot of recriminations for that. In the end, it's cost her her job. And so that is sort of some of the parallels that may inevitably be drawn uh, at some point down the track. Is this going to be a similar moment for Netanyahu? Will his position be seen as untenable in the longer run simply again because of the way that this happened for Israel and the extent to which the country was caught by surprise? One thing that Benjamin Netanyahu stressed frequently in all his campaigning and all his rhetoric was that Israel was very much safer under his watch. He talked about it endlessly. He talked about the money that was being spent on the military. And it really was his mantra and his promise to the Israeli people. And so as the dust settles on this, you can imagine that some of that blame directly will come back to him simply because of the comments that he made. Raz, the situation in Israel is moving pretty rapidly But when you look ahead in really the days and weeks to come, what are you watching for? Well, we're watching for the potential that it does morph into a ground war against the Gaza Strip and Hamas there. The potential for it to spread in the region and take in either Iran or some of the proxies of Iran. Those are sort of the biggest immediate concerns that, you know, the world in general must have about this moment. Does this morph into a broader conflict in a very complex region of the world? And do we see Israel embarking on a long and complex ground war in the Gaza Strip area and really try and crush Hamas once and for all? Those have to be the two sort of biggest immediate questions about where this might go. Raz, thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. Our senior producer, Catherine Fink, produced this episode. It was engineered by our supervising producer, Vicky Vergolina. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.